When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The following podcast contains explicit language. I want to tell you my secret now. I see dead people. Silent Green is people! Need my sister and my daughter! Rosebud. What's in the box? Hello, and welcome to another Slate Spoiler Special. I'm Forrest Wickman, Slate's culture editor, and today we're spoiling Deadpool 2. Uh, Here to talk with me about the film are Slate editorial assistant Marissa Martinelli. Hey, Marissa. Hey, Forrest. Uh, It's completely ridiculous that we're saying hey, considering we've seen each other like 10 times already today. (laughs) Right. Well, I'm trying to start doing the fourth wall. Trying to start doing the fourth wall breaking right off the top here. Uh, Also joining us, not in the studio, um, is Slate Browbeat editor Sam Adams. Hey, Sam. Hello. Uh, So, Marissa and I saw Deadpool 2 last night. Sam, you saw it last week, I think. That's right. And are uh, working on your review now. I think we should start the the usual way, um, which is by each giving a thumbs up or a thumbs down. I think we should also talk about our briefly, like do a thumbs up, thumbs down for the original movie as well. uh, So we can compare and contrast a little bit. Marissa, how about you? Uh, I would give the original Deadpool a definite thumbs up. And I would give this one a slightly more half-hearted thumbs up, but still, still pointing up. But still pointed northward. Okay, Sam. Um, I guess I would I would give them sort of a, a both a thumb sideways and slightly downward trend. Um, but yeah, I think uh, I'm certainly if you like the original one, you like this one. Uh, I think your life will be uh, nonetheless if you skip it. But um, you know, it's Ryan Reynolds is trying very hard to be likable, and he is likable. Yeah, I guess I mean I, I somewhat regret that we could not find a single Deadpool super super fan for this uh spoiler special but i think that no such person exists on the uh slate culture staff i i i mean i i enjoyed the first movie i think it um felt a little more fresh than doing many of the same things all over again the second time i would give this movie a probably a a thumb sideways definitely in quotation marks which is supposed to make everything funnier i guess um and i was I, I think it just like the more this movie seems um, increasingly pleased with itself. Like it talks a lot about how well the bo- box or how well the first movie did in terms of box office. Whereas the first movie, it seemed to at least be like more sincerely self-deprecating. And now it seems higher and higher on its own supply. Um, I don't know if you guys also got that feeling. Yeah, I agree that there was a very smug tone to the movie. Uh more so than in the first one, but I felt like it was earned at least. It it wouldn't work to be self-deprecating again, um, and I think that was the right move in terms of going meta. Yeah, I agree that they couldn't they couldn't uh, pretend like the first movie didn't make seven hundred fifty million dollars or or whatever it made. Um, all right, so we should get into spoiling. Um, who 
can start us off with where this movie begins. Uh, Sam, how about you? Um, well, let us begin by spoiling the first scene in the movie, um, which involves the death of Deadpool's uh, lady love, uh, Vanessa, played by Marina Baccarin. Um, one of the things that gave the first movie heart, or quote-unquote heart, since everything in these movies is kind of between several layers of parentheses and, and quotes and winky-winky meta fourth-wall-breaking. Um, this one opens with, uh, well, after a the first scene is Deadpool blowing himself up, um, and then we rewind slightly to find out why he's doing that. And it turns out that um, these thugs kind of you know, break into their house to get revenge for him screwing up one of their criminal schemes, and a stray bullet uh, kills her. So that knocks her out of it. And then the opening credits are basically... Um, Similar to the opening credits in the first movie, they're basically like, what the fuck did you just do? Did you, oh, shit, did you just kill her? Um, so one thing this movie does a lot is do things that are extremely not transgressive and then act, and act as if they're transgressive and they've just done just something extremely daring. So it, the movie basically begins in the most obvious place by killing off the woman that they paired him up with at the beginning of the previous movie, you know, really fridging her to just give his character something to do in this movie and then acting like, oh, shit, did we really just do that? Um, yeah, so, I, yeah, so that's that's where it begins. Yeah, to me, it felt kind of unclear whether they were acting like killing her was a sincerely shocking thing to do. You know, you mentioned that it says produced by Did You Just Kill Her? Or whether they were saying kind of the opposite, that it is the most cliche thing that you can do. Another, a couple other of the credits say, writ, quote, written by the real villains and directed by one of the guys who killed the dog from John Wick, which was funny. I guess we should say this movie is directed by David Leach, who is indeed one of the guys who killed the dog from John Wick. Um, so it's, it, it. I think a lot of the jokes in this movie, whenever it tries to be more subversive, it's actually very much up to interpretation, whether that is a joke about fridging or just a joke about, OMG, I can't believe they just killed the love interest. I had the same interpretation as Forrest. I absolutely took it as a dig at other superhero movies that do fridge their female characters for reasons that we'll get into later in the spoiler special, just with how the character's death is treated. Uh, but I, I did laugh during the opening credits because I think the first one is like a film by, wait a minute, and that's exactly what my thought process was like. Um, so it was kind of fun to see that on screen. Yeah, it was fun you know, to hear I mean, that. I think there is that. I mean, there's, there's that sort of meta quality to like everything in the movie and meta, meta, meta layers of it. I mean, but it is sort of, it is also like factually what they're doing. Like they're, you know, taking this, you know, female character. And I don't know, maybe Miranda Backer didn't feel like doing too much in the sequel. But, um, you know, but they are still like killing her off to um, to get her out of the way so that they can kind of, you know, protect whatever character arc they had in mind for him. So the fact that it's a joke about it maybe doesn't mean that they're also not doing it. Um, that's one of the, um, I mean, you can really talk yourself in circles um, with this movie, which is part of the enjoyability of it, but also kind of the, the frustratingness of it. Like it's just everything is so arch and self-conscious and so arch and self-conscious about being so arch and self-conscious. Yeah, I mean, it just seems to think that we, sh we shouldn't spend too much time on this, but it just seems to this seems like a perfect example to me of how this movie seems to think that quotation marks and self-consciousness save everything. So you can do pretty much all of the same things that every other superhero movie does, and you can kind of critique them and put them in quotation marks, and that's supposed to somehow excuse the fact that you're literally just doing the, the same thing. Anyway, it is occasionally um, 
clever. So I, one part that we didn't mention is Deadpool's declaration that this is a family movie, which I think plays out a couple different ways. Uh, Marissa, maybe you could walk us through that. So we zip past the opening scene where Deadpool blows himself up, um, but there are quite a few references to Logan, the Wolverine film from last year. And of course, Wolverine is sort of the butt of a lot of jokes in both the original Deadpool and the new Deadpool. Um, Right. I believe the first line is, fuck Wolverine. And then he says, (laughs) I'm dying in this one, too. And he talks about how Logan kind of stole their steez when it it came to doing an R-rated superhero film. And he pulls out a little Logan you know, uh, Wolverine figurine where he's impaled, which is how, spoiler alert, that's how Logan ends. Um, but I, I really liked in the beginning that they laid out sort of the two main themes of the movie, which is that the superhero is going to die and that it's going to be a family film because Logan turned out to be a family film. Um, and so the way that plays out is that after Vanessa dies, uh, Deadpool turns to the X-Men um, and specifically to Colossus. And is sort of welcomed into the fold, even though all he wants to do is die so that he can join Vanessa, which he can't do because he has regenerative powers. Uh, So he's brought into the X-Men and he finally seems to be embracing, you know, having a family uh, thanks to some very vague advice from a dream version of Vanessa uh, who, with whom he wanted to start a family before she was killed. But uh, his first mission with the X-Men does not, go so smoothly right well and this is where he gets the like instead of getting an actual biological child of his of his own he attempts to save this character named uh russell who i think was both one of the better parts of this movie and also just a complete 100 percent lift from um the hunt for the wilder people did either of you guys see that movie yeah, that was great. Yeah, this is uh, Julian Dennison, who is a young um, New Zealand actor who was in uh, Hunt for the Wilder People and has um, you know, been showing up in a couple of other things. He's just a really, really funny, uh, hilarious young actor um, playing a, a sort of, you know, darker, angrier role in, in this movie. It's, um, but it's like almost exactly the same character. I mean, he's, a, he's an orphan once again who cannot find a new home. And it's, and it's so similar that it goes down to the fact that he once again is a huge Tupac fan who keeps making Tupac references, which is one of the most recurring jokes in Hunt for the Wilder People. I can't say I was like especially mad about it. It just seemed a little lazy. I mean, one of the other lines in this movie is when Ryan Reynolds... Uh, at some point, it's in the trailer, he turns to the camera and he says, well, that's just lazy writing. And this movie just seems to think that declaring that its writing is lazy is enough to excuse lazy writing, which it's not. Uh, yeah, we should mention all this is another sort of second degree uh, superhero connection, but Hunt for the Wilder People was also the movie that um, Taika Waititi directed right before doing Thor Ragnarok. Yeah, everyone should go see Hunt for the Wilder People. With everything you have on your plate, earning your degree online seems impossible. But at Grand Canyon University, we specialize in helping you fit a master's degree in education into your busy day. Your graduation team, led by your own GCU counselor, provides you with the personal support you need to succeed. Achieve your goals with a plan and team behind you. Find your purpose at Grand Canyon University. Visit gcu.edu. So. What happens next? Saving Russell does not go. Well, we should mention that Russell is a young mutant right. whose power is he wants to be called. What is it? Fire Fist. 
Uh, yes. Yep. Uh, an extremely on the nose name for a superhero because his power is that he can create flames from his fists. Um, so Deadpool is tr- he and Colossus and Negasonic Teenage Warhead um, are trying to subdue Russell. But in the process, I would be interested in what you guys thought of this scene because Deadpool in trying to subdue Russell, I got the sense that he was deliberately trying to get himself imprisoned along with Russell. Um, Russell is sort of threatened by, uh, what are they called? The people who catch mutants. Oh, I have no idea. Um, you can just say the people who catch mutants. That seems good enough for me. Um, Russell is there. They have like a scary acronym. Um, Russell is threatened by the people who catch mutants and he's threatened to be taken to the ice box and to have a device placed around his neck that will subdue his powers um and in the course of the confrontation deadpool realizes that russell was being abused by his theoretical mutant sanctuary and so he shoots a bunch of the caretakers um and so he is also subdued he and russell are both taken to the icebox which is mutant jail um i got the sense that he did that on purpose that it wasn't just you know he was enraged on behalf of this poor kid that he because he wants to die decided that a collar that would mute his powers would be great for that. Yeah, I mean, he's certainly very... I don't I don't know if I got that quite as clearly as you did, but he's certainly very self-destructive throughout this whole period. Um, and, and we should we should mention, too, that meanwhile, while this is going on, and this is, you know, this movie is sort of, you know, almost like comically complicated in this, this respect, but um, uh, Cable, played by Josh Brolin, has come back from the future to uh, kill Russell because Russell has... In, in the future become, as a result of being kind of abused and abandoned, has become this kind of very evil, destructive, murderous mutant and has killed, uh, you know, lots and lots of people, among them um, Cable's wife and child. So the, the arc of the movie then becomes that Deadpool has to kind of, you know, redeem Russell and, and stop him from going down this, this dark path and becoming a, a killer. Right, and specifically... He ha- they have to stop him from making his first kill, which will give him like a taste for blood, and 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 then he'll never stop killing. It is. It was uh, this movie, of course, like anticipates all of the criticisms you're going to make and makes them beforehand. So it it they call Josh Brolin Thanos at some point, but I don't think they point out that like how similar this character is to Thanos in a lot of ways, and that he similarly lost his family. Like that is his tragic backstory. And he's not trying to kill off half the population, but he's similarly kind of become dark and out out for revenge because of it. Yeah. Is it, is it extremely kind of, you know, dense and referential both to itself and to other things movie? I mean, I, I think it's, you know, having when I read about Infinity War, I mean, that's Infinity War is a movie that just is kind of ceaselessly, you know, referring to and mired in this incredibly, you know, complicated and yet not that necessarily that interesting on Marvel chronology of the 16 movies that preceded it. And and Deadpool is is kind of that squared. I mean, there are it's just you know referencing things within the universe, things without other comic book movies, other kind of details about you know, various, uh, you know, studio deals and which Marvel characters can appear in, in which movies made by which studios um, is just, 
it, it's just kind of nonstop in that respect. And I think that it can be, you can be amused by a lot of those jokes and still feel kind of eventually worn down by them in some respects. Yeah, with with Cable specifically, it was unclear to me the extent to which all of his opening scenes were supposed to be funny or not. I mean, in one of the trailers for these movies, you you kind of get the same um, introduction of Cable that you get in this movie, except for Deadpool is constantly breaking in to like make fun of the bad CGI and stuff. And in the movie, it's played fairly straight faced. It looks like a an an exceptionally hacky version of the introduction of a villain, but it's not quite hacky enough to be flat out funny. I mean, nobody was laughing in our theater. And at the same time, I don't think it was supposed to be sincerely cool. I, I, uh, I don't know what you guys made of that. Like there were all, for example, there were all these shots that were from way down at his ankles looking way up, which is, you know, the hackiest possible way to try to make a villain look imposing and scary. Um, but it, it was not, it did not appear to be either a joke or sincere. I don't know about the initial time we see Cable, but there definitely is a contrast between Cable as a character who sort of feels like he's pulled from a different, more serious movie in these ridiculous scenarios. I mean, when he first arrives in the year to kill Russell, he sees a couple of rednecks sitting on the back of a truck um, with, you know, like fake rubber testicles <laughs> hanging off the back um and that's definitely truck nuts. funny truck i nuts. believe it's the type really I, i'm not familiar with this um lexicon it's a thing but truck nuts okay um well uh, cable driving a car full of truck nuts that's funny to me <laughs> yeah i mean there is the one line where they say i think uh deadpool says you're so dark it's like are you from the dc universe or something <laughs> yeah. which is one of the funnier lines um i suppose uh <laughs> Sorry, I'm trying to muster more enthusiasm here. I'm clearly clearly failing a little bit. Uh, yeah, so our heroes are in jail. The jail looks weirdly like the jail they always put Magneto in when everything is plastic. I wasn't really sure why that was the case, considering they already had the colors that reduced their their powers and stuff. Maybe there are real plastic jails. Aesthetic so. cohesion, maybe. Right. All the jails got to look the same. Um, we should probably talk about like Russell and... Uh, Deadpool's early relationship, right. which is that Russell is determined to get his revenge on the kind of caretaker who abused him, um, and Deadpool is just not having it. Deadpool is ready to just let himself die of cancer, which has come back under the influence of the collar. Um, and Russell is also very confident for a young scrappy kid in a jail full of terrifying mutants, um, and he starts trouble. And Deadpool advises him that he needs to befriend the toughest guy, the biggest guy in the jail rather than antagonize them. Yeah. And a weird thing happens here. I don't know if you guys noticed this where um, we, we get a bit of foreshadowing that there was quote, like a big monster or the biggest guy of all is in the basement. We're told that it's foreshadowing. Ryan right. Reynolds turns exactly. to the camera and says foreshadowing. There's, there's some classic Deadpool mugging there. And, uh, and then, um, there's this whole action sequence where Cable breaks in and tries to um, kill Russell. Uh, and then all of a sudden, this is where things got really muddled to me. And I suspect there was some um, kind of re-editing and post-production because there's a scene right after that where we see Russell back in jail. And it's kind of unclear to me how, like, why he's just back in jail and everything's normal again. And he's, like, feeding the monster in the basement, um, who we eventually learn is Juggernaut, uh, who will be familiar to people who know the X-Men 
comics and animated series and stuff. And in, and then like a scene after that, Cable has kidnapped T.J. Miller, which is something I don't think we ever see happen. Uh, there is a scene where it goes around where T.J. Miller's like coming out of the bar, kind of like the camera moves around the corner, and there's like some he's like waiting for him. So I think it's implied that that's going to happen. We definitely don't see it actually happen, but there's a bit of a groundwork laid there. Okay, don't I mean, they assemble the X Force first, and then they kidnap T.J. Miller? <laughs> I think it says a lot about this movie that you guys had last night and we're still having trouble like remembering exactly how the plot works. Yeah. Uh, it, that definitely happens at some point. I'm pretty sure because I thought it was a setup within the X-Force attack. Uh, wow. I mean, if that's the case, that would make a lot of sense, but that is definitely not what came across to me. But, I, I you know, I, I don't think any of this is... It didn't particularly bother me because it's a movie that doesn't take itself that seriously in the first place. Right. Uh, right. Which, again, becomes very clear in the uh, introduction of the X-Force. Um, who would like to walk walk us through the X-Force? Um, well, there's a, whole, there's a whole sequence in the movie where uh, Deadpool assembles a sort of cut-rate band of, of superheroes, which he then um, decides to call X-Force, which is a name that's already taken. Um, and Well, you know, we should say he ex- he explains that he thinks X-Men is a sexist name because they're not all men, which is both a good point, but I feel like he's kind of making it, playing it as a joke. And, like, sexism and racism are always just, like, jokes in this movie. There's this other running thing where, who is the guy who calls himself, like, Black uh, Tom or something, but he's, like, a white guy. His superpower, as Ryan Reynolds notes, is cultural appropriation. Right. Uh, so he's like, you know, he's not actually black. So it's all just a a, a joke. And meanwhile, uh, there's, then there's like, the character of the, the sort of Indian cab right. driver who's, you know, sort of a, you know, verging on a kind of Apu like stereotype. And then, you know, and then they, you know, they lampshade it at the end of the movie where Dead, there's some bit of voiceover where Deadpool's talking about like, basically how to put together a Deadpool movie. And he says, oh, you include this and that. Oh, and it's just that dash of racism. Um, and, and it's just like, well, admitting that your movie's kind of racist doesn't make it okay for it to be racist? Right. If you know it's um, racist, maybe just don't do it. <laughs> right. But yeah, that would, that would be too hard. So instead they just do it and kind of, you know, they get to it before you can. Although <laughs> I certainly already registered that complaint mentally by that, by that point in the film. But yeah. anyway, so he puts together this you kind of, you know, budget uh, X-Men. There's a whole, basically, you know, Saturday Night Live type um, audition sequence where people come in and, and tell him about their powers. And he ends up, I think, hiring everybody, um, including this character named Peter, played by Rob Delaney, who doesn't have any powers at all. Um, and then there is, you know, I think one of the funniest sequences in the movie where the this X Force kind of goes on their first mission, and there's a throwaway a line before that about um, kind of a high wind advisory being a problem for this mission, which is um, is just just seems like a, a gag. Um, and then they're all parachuting, right? Because it's a- in the mouth of uh, of Peter, so it's just like, oh, he's just the the like human without any superpowers. Get over it, Peter. Right, but then they're all parachuting out of this plane, and in the course of parachuting out of that plane, every single one of them um, dies, except for um, Zazie Beetz's uh, Domino. Um, so they you kind of, you know, they go into power lines, or they run into a billboard, or get hit by a bus, or... Um, helicopter they, rotors, I think, might be in there. There's a helicopter rotors, there's a wood chipper, <laughs> um, there's having a character who's power is apparently vomiting acid having them vomit on you um and then 
finally like melt away. Um, so yeah, so they all um, they assemble this team, which has some you know like very you know cool actors in it, like like uh, Terry Crews. Um, and then you know the gag and the movie being that uh, they none of them stick around for more than I don't know five minutes. Right, and the I mean the actors get bigger than Terry Crews. Not only is the the character. Uh, who I believe you described as the vomiter, <laughs> the, the, the superhero whose who's, uh, superpower is vomiting acid um, and is named Zeitgeist. He's played by Bill Skarsgård, who, I don't know, maybe maybe playing the clown in It and that movie making a billion dollars didn't boost his uh, billing that much. Or it could be that he's in there just kind of as a, as a gag because probably the funniest bit of casting is that it turns out that the superhero named the vanisher who we otherwise don't see is revealed at his death to be marissa brad pitt brad pitt for a split second it is literally a case of blink and you'll miss it yeah i mean all i can say is all i can say is that don't impress me much (laughs) (laughs) i mean it seems like he was just kind of like they almost just photoshopped his face in like I, i i'm not sure brad pitt actually did any he certainly wasn't on on set to the extent there even was a set for the sequence he did appear to be screaming in agony right i guess that's true i'm sure in the course of at least one of his movies he has done that he was according to the internet at least one of the people who was you know in talks whatever that means for the role of cable so he had you know some sort of connection with the, the filmmakers before that and it, it does seem like you know, he has enough of a sense of humor to actually just, you know, turn up just to do a stupid, you know, one-off joke like that. But it does also, you know, that kind of speaks to the difference between this movie and the first one. And the first one was this kind of, you know, low-budget, really surprise hit. I mean, people knew who knew people who know comics knew that Deadpool is a popular character, character, but nobody expected an R-rated superhero movie with just these kind of all these sort of off-brand. You know, characters. The joke, you know, the whole joke of the first movie is that you got like Negasonic, Teenage Warhead, and Colossus because like the X Men movies don't want them because they're just lame, lame ass characters. Um, and then somehow that goes and makes all this money. And then you turn up in the, in the following movie and it's like, well, we want to get Brad Pitt for one shot and they could do it. Yeah. So as Sam said, uh, one of the few uh, surviving heroes is Domino, played by Zazie Beetz um, from Atlanta, who I definitely think is one of the best parts about this movie. I don't think we've even said what her superpower is, so maybe, Marissa, you can talk about her a little bit. Oh, I love this character. I was not familiar with her as someone who's not versed in the comics, um, but her superpower is that she's very lucky, um, which when she's auditioning, she gets pushback from Deadpool that that's not a superpower, which is very funny considering Peter, who has no superpowers at all, was just accepted to the team with no problem. Um, but she insists that being lucky is a superpower and that there's a reason that she must have ended up on this team. And she winds up being the only survivor of X-Force besides Deadpool uh, to land on the ground. And there's this wonderful chase sequence where she gets control of the sort of armored vehicle where all the prisoners are being kept, including Russell. And just Deadpool at one point says, you know, oh, luck is a superpower. That's not going to, you know, that's going to be hard to film or something like that. Um, And the result is actually cinematic. It's not very cinematic. And the result is one of the most cinematic and fun sequences where it's just a bunch of near misses or extraordinary coincidences that help her get control of this vehicle and sort of lets chance take the wheel. Uh, and it's very fun. Yeah, I mean, it's also just a very novel superpower. I mean, this movie uh, makes a lot of jokes about how similar all the character, how similar many of the characters are between, for example, the DC and Marvel universes. So, for example, 
um, when Juggernaut starts running around, when he, you know, breaks out of this prison because Russell uh, frees him, uh, we should say. Uh, so when Juggernaut is running around and Deadpool is trying trying to subdue him, he does the 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 sun is getting low, big guy thing from the Marvel from the Marvel Studios movies, which they always say for the Hulk. The implication being that he's kind of a similar uh, character, and then you have like the I think some part of the joke with the Fire Fist character is that he's basically just what the Human Torch. Mm-hmm. Uh, who is the other character? Who's just there's there's at least two other famous. Cable is just Bucky from right. The there's Winter a lot Soldier of jokes movies. about like oh man, another one armed time traveler. Right, and so most of the time it's the usual Deadpool thing of uh, let's do the cliche thing, but be self conscious about it. And in the dead in the Domino character, we get something like legitimately novel and surprising, and like kind of ridiculous enough that I'm not sure to what extent you might see it in some of the. You certainly wouldn't see a character like Domino in the DC movies as they have existed thus far. And no, that, definitely and that, not. That I mean, sort of car chase sequence that you're you're talking about there, Marissa. I mean, that is one of one of the parts in this movie where you do know that it was directed by the guy who right. not only killed the dog in John Wick, but did all the kind of you know amazing, um, you know, uh, uh, fight sequences in that movie. There, he became a former stunt coordinator turned director, and that is. Um, you know, compared to even something like, you know, Infinity War, which even though this is a much bigger budget than the first Deadpool is probably less than half what Infinity War cost. Uh, but, I, but I mean, those, um, you know, chase sequences and stuff like that are actually kind of a pleasure to watch compared to some of the really kind of incoherent, um, you know, heavily digitized um, action stuff in, in the Marvel movies. Right. There's a funny there's a funny joke later when Juggernaut and colossus okay here's another one of those characters who's very like hulk like big dumb guy he's kind of like drax but less funny is kind of how i feel about colossus but he's has his occasional charms anyway when juggernaut and colossus are running at each other deadpool says something like here comes a big cgi fight um which to the movie's credit they don't spend too much time on the big cgi fight because they know it's like not going to be that uh uh, much of a, a wow it's not going to have the wow factor, really. Yeah, this doesn't this doesn't really fit in anywhere. But I just wanted to say another one of my favorite jokes in the movie is, um, you know, Juggernaut is this very kind of you know obnoxious, like trash talking character. He kind of had this infamous appearance in one of the X Men movies where his um, he said what had sort of become this internet meme, um, like I'm the Juggernaut bitch, but then said it to a woman in the movie, and that actually came off as like really sexist and gross, and they just kind of took that character out of the rotation. Um, they bring him back in this one, and he's just kind of an asshole. And he um, says this thing to Deadpool. He says, I'm going to rip you in half, which is the kind of thing that like villains say in movies, but then he actually picks up Deadpool and literally rips him in half, um, which <laughs> I, I enjoyed the follow through there. Oh, man. Yeah, I think I repressed this part. Uh, Marissa, why don't uh, like, please be the person who talks about the baby legs so I don't have to. Okay, lucky me. Well, um, it turns out that the process for regenerating after you've been ripped in half involves growing fresh legs, um, which is revealed in a sequence with Deadpool is with Blind Al, who is his kind of friend and mentor might be a strong word. Um, we should in say the comics. I had forgotten that like almost the same bit actually does happen in the first one. And I think I just repressed it too, where he like loses an arm or both arms and has to regrow them. Mm-hmm. And he has like tiny baby 
hands. This is so much worse than that, though. <laughs> well, I think one well, thing I mean, that's really... I don't know. One, say, but I mean, he does, he regrows everything below the waist, not just his legs. Right, which uh, we learned. Quite a few jokes about that. <laughs> yeah, and I think probably the most tasteless joke in the movie, which is Deadpool is like trying to get Blind Al to hold his hand or something. I don't remember the exact setup. And then he says, that's not my hand. And in other words, like Deadpool has just like essentially molested Blind Al and made her touch his penis, which I like. There's also one where I I forget exactly where, but Deadpool kind of comes face to face with a naked man's midsection. And he says, Scoutmaster Kevin, Um, I believe. And so it's like, oh, haha, joke about children being molested by their Scoutmaster. Is that funny? I mean, part of the character is that canonically he has been molested. and it is I, not in terms of the filmmakers, but in terms of the character cracking a joke like that, it's very in line with like filtering, as Cable says, filtering your pain through humor. Right. And in the Scoutmaster case, I think certainly one can make the case that that joke was also tasteless. But it bothered me less because at least, you know, it was Deadpool like punching up at, at the person who had offended him. Whereas in this case, right. it's literally just the hero of the movie. Granted, he's kind of an anti-hero, but the average teenager is just going to be like, oh, man, Deadpool. So awesome. Like what great <laughs> one-liners. To touch his dick. Yes. Right. And it's like it kind of makes the I think the probably the only way that the movie thinks that they can get away with this joke is because he's not like a fully grown man yet. And so it's sort of like touching a baby and then therefore <laughs> less sexualized. Sure. I, I mean, sure that makes it that much better. Yeah. I think <laughs> it's pretty hard to, I mean, were you guys similarly uh, put off by that joke? Yes. <laughs> I was put it's off. Not... It was, but it, it wasn't just blind out. Although that was probably, that wasn't shown. That was off camera. Right. Um, but I mean, it's sort of the running bit throughout that whole scene that every character that enters looks down and sees like baby legs and a penis and is like, whoa, what's going on in here? Uh, including Cable, who is otherwise so stoic and serious and is completely unnerved by the sight in front of him, which when it is finally revealed is as unnerving as everyone's reactions promise. Yeah. Well, and there is a sort of extended, I think it's deliberate, this kind of extended uh, like basic instinct reference there where the character keeps kind of crossing and uncrossing his legs and you keep kind of almost seeing, you know, what's between them and kind of wanting to look and not wanting to look and um, <laughs> definitely like, you know, messes with you for a good long while before they... Uh, yeah, I mean, that part didn't, didn't... I found that part, like, I guess mostly funny... I, I'm certainly uh, not, you know, generally offended by by just like nudity and such. It's just, I mean, it's also just not very fun to criticize or be offended by this movie because it is, like, in many ways, just like a feature length troll, and Deadpool is such a troll, and so it feels a little bit like whenever you express any offense over this movie, you're kind of just playing into its, you know, tiny baby hands, um, <laughs> so to speak. <laughs> right. Tiny, weird little baby hands. Yeah. Uh, so we should we should um, get to the end of the movie here. Uh, well, Cable and Deadpool in this scene where they're where Deadpool's legs are tiny and he's uh, he's pantsless. Um, finally, agree to team up, and Deadpool makes a deal with Cable that uh, if he can prevent Russell from making the first kill, that sets him on this path where he will become evil and murderous then cable will let russell live 
um, and Cable has with him sort of a charred teddy bear that belongs to his daughter because his daughter and wife were killed in the future. Um, and so that's sort of like the back to the future photograph where they'll know if they change the timeline, if the teddy bear is no longer charred and covered in blood. Sam, do you want to take it from there? Yes. And so Deadpool has his little kind of 30 second window to uh, convince Russell to be good. And he does it eventually by um, successfully because he's had the dampening collar put back on him. He actually sort of successfully manages to get himself killed by taking a bullet um, that's meant for someone else. And so um, he kind of dies at the end of the movie to save him, although there's a long um, sequence where you think he's dead and then he you know, comes back up and talks again and then dies again and then comes back and talks again. They sort of stretch that out for, I guess, I guess one would say comic effect as well. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I've definitely seen that bit, like the extended um, death take that never seems to end. I've definitely seen that bit a whole bunch of times, but I, that is one place where I feel like I would really give Ryan Reynolds credit for his performance and really selling that bit. I, I mean, maybe it was different in your theater, Sam, but that, that sequence kind of killed in the screening that we were uh, in. I can't remember all the different things he says when he comes back to life. I think part of it is just that, like, I mean, I'm sure you guys knew that, of course, Deadpool's not going to die and probably um, Vanessa, his girlfriend, isn't really dead either. I mean, it's hard to take any death seriously in any of these superhero movies anymore and uh, like a legitimately subversive thing for deadpool to to do would have been to actually kill somebody but of course right after that um you know there's kind of uh chekhov's time machine and cable uses it to go back redo the final sequence and this time you know he saves deadpool so of course deadpool survives we should note that deadpool doesn't just take a bullet for just anyone he takes a bullet for to save russell and that's what kind of redeems Russell. And he realizes that he does have someone he can rely on. Um, because one of the things Deadpool says in coming back to life is he it's one of the only sort of semi-sincere moments in the movie is that he urges Russell to sort of go out and find his family, um, no matter who it winds up being. Yeah, I found it hard to to invest in any of the characters because the movie just doesn't take itself seriously enough. So I didn't I, 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 were either of you moved at any point during this movie. Not especially. I I liked that because I thought it was interesting in how it paralleled with Logan. Um, They made such a point of bringing up Logan at the beginning of the movie. And then it turned out that the plot is more or less similar in that the main character who is a loner um, and who loses people who are close to him adopts this sort of surrogate child and winds up sacrificing himself to save that surrogate child. Um, I don't know if I found that moving as much as sort of just like an interesting ripoff slash homage to a movie that you know yeah i found myself wondering with those scenes and the scenes with um you know deadpool and his girlfriend whether i mean like are the people who are making because the scenes some of the scenes are played very straight and kind of sentimental and i'm just thinking like are the people who make this movie like are they actually expecting people to be emotionally invested in it? I mean, are people actually getting emotionally invested in it? Like it's kind of unimaginable to me because the rest of the movie is so kind of, you know, arch and ironized. Um, you know, and it's this weird sort of I think they want this kind of, you know, Pavlovian like emotional response from you. Like this is the moving scene, be moved. And it's just I don't know, is, is anybody involved taking this thing seriously at that point? It's just it's very weird for me. Like I'm not in sh- I'm not sure 
how it's intended to play, let alone how it actually does play. Yeah, it's it's definitely hard to pin down. The kind of the most obvious example of this, I suppose, is during the sequence during which uh, Deadpool hits quote rock bottom. Deadpool actually, you know, breaks the fourth wall and says, "There's a part in every screenplay where the character must hit rock bottom." Um, and I, I found myself wondering this at a separate point, uh, Sam, in in the same way where I was looking at, I believe it was Vanessa, and she was supposed to be dead, and she still had kind of her her like nightshirt on, and then I realized that they made it so that her nightshirt was kind of see-through so that you could see her like push up bra underneath it. And like that (laughs) made me think like, Oh, this movie is not really taking her very seriously as a person still. Um, But did you know, cause you, Farrah Forrest, you mentioned that you were like pretty sure Vanessa was coming back. I was not sure. I thought she was dead. (laughs) I think as soon as I realized that there was a time traveling character in this movie, I knew that, any lovable character who died would be saved. Sure. But they made such a point of saying that Cable only gets, he only for some, for because of lazy screenwriting, he only has two time travel jumps in him, um, one of which he used to go back and kill Russell, uh, which, first of all, why didn't he come back and kill Russell as a baby? Wouldn't that have been so much easier? Well, I think Deadpool brings this up, but I don't remember what his explanation is. I there is, think there is something like the farther he goes, the harder it is right, and the right. less exact. Oh. He couldn't go back that far. I, yeah, I think I forget whether that, that or is only lazy having writing. two charges is the part where Deadpool says, wow, that's lazy writing. But it's definitely like one of those two. The whole time travel thing is they finesse a lot of it. I guess I just accepted that as true, which maybe that was on me. For believing right. anything that this movie, but, I mean, we, sh- we should talk about while we're talking about time travel the the post credit sequence of this movie, which I think is far and away the best part of it, and it's definitely something people are going to want to stick around and watch. Um, so uh, maybe Adam Mercy, do you want to describe that? Sure. Uh, so through well, we haven't mentioned Yukio, who is ne- Negasonic Teenage Warhead's girlfriend in this movie. And um, I think there's, like, basically nothing else to say about The two her, of them right? really don't have much to do, but this... she has even less to do. She's sort of just there to be the cutesy girlfriend. Yeah, this movie another, seems another, to... another, like, running, like, lampshaded running gag where all she ever says in the movie is, like, hi, Deadpool, and he says, hi, Yukio. Um, and so it's, you know, a joke about not giving this character any lines by just giving every time she has a line, it's the same line. While also, however, for the Marvel Universe, making a very pointed... Like way of including a gay couple in the movie, even though they are basically irrelevant to the plot. Yeah, it seems like they kind of only appear to say, like, look, we did it. Right. Gay people <laughs> in a Marvel movie. And then, like, they don't do anything else for the rest of the movie, which to me feels like I don't really give them many points. And also, there are, like, some pretty, um, I guess, at best, you might call them low-hanging fruit lesbian jokes, f- where, for example... Uh, when Russell shows up, he calls, um, what is her name? Negasonic Teenage Warhead. Warhead. Uh, he calls her Justin Bieber, you know, playing on the whole Tumblr and running joke of lesbians who look like Justin Bieber. Um, and that's like about as much character, uh, development and action as she gets in this movie. Well, all this to say in the post credit sequence, um, Yukio and Negasonic Teenage Warhead fix the cable's time traveling device, and Deadpool uses it um, to go back and correct a lot of different things. Um, 
including to save Vanessa, but also to go clean up the timelines, as he says, in a totally different movie, um, X-Men Origins Wolverine, uh, as well as to... Well, we should say what he does, which is that he kills off the older version of Deadpool who no one liked, right. basically, uh, who was in- briefly introduced in that movie, but then... Yes, was- and also played by Ryan Reynolds. Right, yes. right. And, and then from there... And then he also kills Ryan Reynolds, who is sitting at his desk and holding a screenplay um, with Green Lantern written on the front, uh, which is obviously a reference to the actual not well-received Green Lantern movies. Right. Likewise, had Ryan Reynolds in them. Yeah, so he's going off and kind of killing all the other Ryan Reynolds characters that he's played in various um, comic book movies from from various studios. Um, Yes, and and that's funny both as a sort of you know, intertextual joke, but it also is, you know, Ryan Reynolds has been kind of trying to make this happen for so long, and he's been in all these comic book movies and playing these different characters, and he has used the word, you know, smug at the beginning, Marissa, and, you know, and he, I think he's a really, you know, he could be a very funny, like, charismatic, talented actor, but he has this, invariably, this kind of smug quality to the roles he plays, and, and why, I think the reason why Deadpool has worked so well for him is that it the movie kind of that becomes the character, like the smugness is kind of foregrounded. So it's no longer, it's now it's a feature, not a bug. So he's kind of finally found a character. Well, that just that incredibly like arch self-satisfied quality that he brings to everything is actually fits the movie for once rather than kind of pulling you out of it. All right. So I think I've, the more I talk about Deadpool two, maybe the less I like it. I don't know how you guys are feeling. Marissa, will you go see Deadpool three, which will, inevitably happen given that this movie is supposed to make like 300 million dollars this first weekend i will go see deadpool 3 sam Uh, i guess if i'm nothing better to do that day i will yes yeah i kind of feel like i I have a sense of obligation to see these movies because they're so popular but uh i wish i enjoyed them more than more than i do all right Please subscribe to the Slate Spoiler Special podcast feed. And if you like the show, please rate and review it in the Apple Podcast Store or wherever you get your podcasts. If you have suggestions for movies or TV shows we should spoil, or if you have any other feedback you'd like to share, please send it to spoilers at slate.com. Our producer is Daniel Schrader. For Sam and Marissa, I'm Forrest Wickman. Thanks for listening.